So today we're looking at Isaiah 56 to 66, a really massive portion of scripture. And uh, if I was advising one of the other guys about how to preach, if one of the other guys had been preaching today, and I'd have said my advice would have been this. The, the theme of these final 11 chapters is, of Isaiah is about how God makes all things new. That's what, it, that's what it's about. It's about renewal, it's about completeness, it's about restoration. Uh, we've got Christmas coming up in two weeks' time. Uh, we, all know, we all know the kind of confusion and distractions of Christmas as well, but what Christmas fundamentally is about is about the coming of Jesus Christ. He is the one who makes all things new. That's what it's about. We're celebrating newness of life. That's why Jesus himself talked about the new birth. He said, you must be born again. Uh, being born again isn't just a, a weird kind of American form of Christianity. It's what Jesus said all we human beings need to experience, new birth, things to be, need to be made new. That's what we're looking for. That's what we need, newness of life. Um, I used to be at a church called New Community, and it wasn't always called New Community, but we changed the name and called it New Community. And some people said, you can't call it New Community because after a year the name won't be new anymore. It won't mean anything. But the point was, as God's people, we're always being renewed. We have been made new. There's a, there's a permanent newness about the thing that God has done. If you're, if you're made new in God, if you're born again, if, you're, if you come to newness of life, you are new and permanently new. It's a new which doesn't fade. It's a newness which doesn't get old. It's a newness which is eternal. It's a, it's a constant newness. Our young people in the summer go to an event called New Day. That event's been running for years, but it's always a new day because God is doing something fresh and something new, and the newness of God is constant and eternal and permanent, and God is going to make all things new. The whole of creation will be made new. The heavens and the earth will be made new and made good and perfect. And if uh, one of the other guys was preaching this morning, I'd say, what you need to do is just talk about that. Talk about what newness is and what it means. That's the theme of these 11 chapters. And then just pick a few verses out and focus on those. And you can't do anything more because there's just too much in, those, in these chapters. Just pick a little bit out and, and make your point through those few verses about the bigger point of these closing 11 chapters of Isaiah. That's what I'd say to any of the other guys. It's not what I'm going to do this morning. And actually, I've really kind of wrestled with this this week in terms of how to, how to preach through these last chapters and bring this series to a conclusion. And I'm actually going to do something which is very unusual. I'm preaching without notes, which I just felt I should do this morning. I've, I've preached nearly a thousand times now, and the only time I've ever preached without notes was nine years ago. So this is not a normal experience. This is not a typical pattern for me. Uh, so it could be a complete disaster. It could be a rambling, incoherent train wreck. If so, well, it's Christmas in a couple of weeks, and half an hour's time we can all say, oh, well, never mind. Another nine years, give it another go. <laughs> I have got to go down to 502 afterwards and preach down there as well. So if it's a complete train wreck here, I might, we might just have a really long worship time down at 502. <laughs> so, Lord, pray for you to speak to us. Sovereign Lord, would you speak to us? through this scripture, these mighty pictures and promises which you revealed to Isaiah 2,700 years ago, but which still have so much relevance and resonance for us in our day, in our age, in our context. Pray you'd speak through your word, King Jesus. Amen. Okay, so we're Isaiah 56. We're actually going to start, though, in, in Acts chapter 8. Uh, Acts chapter 8 is a beautiful story. It's a story of a follower of Jesus called Philip and an Ethiopian man. 
And the Ethiopian man has been to Jerusalem because he's serious about pursuing the true God. And then he's traveling home and he's reading from Isaiah. And he's reading Isaiah 53. And he reads out this passage from Isaiah 53. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And God sent Philip up to the man's chariot and said, do you understand what you're talking about? The man didn't have a clue. The man said, who is this? Who does the, who's the prophet talking about? Is it himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip told him the good news. Philip told him the gospel. This is, this is the new thing that has happened. This scripture, which has been mysterious, who is the prophet talking about? Who is this suffering servant? Who is this lamb that's silent before uh, its shearers? Who is this? this This figure that has been clothed in mystery since Isaiah spoke 700 years before? Philip says, it's not a mystery anymore. This is about Jesus. And beginning with that scripture, he began to tell the Ethiopian eunuch the good news of Jesus Christ. And I, I read that, and I always think that he, because it says he began there, I always say he must have got to Isaiah 56, because in Isaiah 56 it says this, Thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. This man is a, is a eunuch. And he's reading Isaiah 53, and he doesn't know who it's talking about. And, and Philip comes up to him and says, it's talking about Jesus. And he begins there, and then he goes on. And he gets to Isaiah 56, and this is you. This is you. You've come to Jerusalem looking for the true God. Well, let me introduce him to you. This is Jesus, and this is what it, this is what it means for you. A new day is coming. And this is what this new day means for you. You know, this, this uh, man, I guess he was... Defined, you can see in Acts 8 how he's described. He's described as three things. He's an Ethiopian, he's a eunuch, and he's an official in the queen of Ethiopia's house. He's her treasurer. And those three things are probably the three things which define him. His nationality and his sexuality and his job. And for us, that's still so often generally how we are defined. It's who are we? We're, the, we're defined by the place we come from, the nationality that we are. And we're defined... Uh, especially in our age, by our sexuality and whether we're married or whether we're single and what our sexual orientation is, that defines us. And we're defined by the thing that we do. What is it that you do? And that was this man's identity. This is who I am. This is, this is me. I'm an Ethiopian, I'm a eunuch, and I'm an official in the queen's household. That's, that's me. That's my identity. And Philip turns to Isaiah 56 and says, you're going to be given a new name, an everlasting name. You're going to have a place in God's house. A new day is coming. Things have changed. What you're to be defined by now, you're not going to be primarily defined by the fact that you're an Ethiopian and a eunuch and a treasurer. You're going to be defined by the fact that you're a member of the household of God. And the things which looked impossible for you, actually in God now become possible. You're a eunuch. That means you cannot physically, it's impossible for you to have children. But in the household of God, you're going to be counted as one who's fruitful and blessed. A new day is coming. You're going to be given a new name. In Revelation 2, uh, Jesus speaks and he talks about how those who overcome evil will be given a new name and it's written on a, on a white stone. And uh, it's a bit mysterious what the white stone represents, but uh, in, in, uh, 
in the Roman uh, games, the victors in the games sometimes, I think, were given a white stone with their name written on it as a sign of their freedom and kind of access. And it's a picture of something of that, that Jesus gives you a new name. It's guaranteed. It's written on stone. And he says, this is what's happening. This is a new day for this man. It's a new day. A new day is coming. That's what the gospel does. That's what Christmas is about. It's new birth. It's transformation. It's change. But making all things new means dealing with corruption. If, if God is going to make all things new, he has to deal with the mess, with the sin, with the turmoil of the world. And the world is a messy place. 57 verse 4, God speaks to the prophet and says, Are your not your children? Are you not children of transgression, the offspring of deceit? You who burn with lust among the oaks, under every green tree, who slaughter your children in the valleys, under the clefts of the rocks. People of Israel at this time were... There was terrible corruption in the nation, and it was... It was kind of highlighted and defined by, by, this, by this sexual corruption. That under every green tree, the, they were engaging in sexual immorality and they were slaughtering their children. There uh, was some kind of child sacrifice going on to false gods. And again, this just feels so... to have so much resonance and so much relevance to us and our society. If any culture has burnt with lust, it is ours. We are a society which we're built, our entertainment culture, the way that we think, the whole world is kind of built on lust. And we care for our children. We're obsessive about safeguarding and DBS forms and all the rest, but we perform 200,000 abortions every year in the UK. And there's a kind of a, a sexual corruption in our nation which is very like the sexual corruption that Isaiah sees in which God must act against. If there's going to be a new day, this kind of corruption has to be dealt with. It has to be cleansed, and it will be. Verse 14, And it should be said, Build up, build up, prepare the way. Remove every obstruction from my people's way. God will prepare the way. God will clear the way for his people to come into the new day he wants them to experience. God says, Peace. Peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal. God is going to bring peace and God is going to heal. But how are things at the moment? Verse 20, chapter 57. The wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. We live in an incredibly restless age. You just feel it all the, all the time. There's a kind of a restlessness in men and women's souls. We kind of live with a kind of a, like it says here, kind of things are just stirred up so much of the time. Things are kind of turbulent in people's lives, even in lives which are outwardly successful and prosperous and doing okay. There's, you often detect there's a kind of inner turmoil in the lives of so many people in our contemporary culture. And, and that's because there's a problem of corruption that has to be dealt with, that if our hearts aren't right with God, then no matter what we do, no matter what we consume, no matter how much good TV we watch, no matter how many adult coloring books we fill in, how many mindfulness classes we go to, there's going to be a turbulence, there's going to be a restlessness in our souls because our souls need to be made new by God. And the corruption in our hearts and the corruption of the world needs to be dealt with. There's a new day coming. And God says, uh, he's bringing peace, but there's no peace for the wicked. 
Outside of God's plan, there isn't peace. There's only turbulence stirring up like the sea. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression. God's cleansing of corruption begins with his own people. The people of Israel, his treasure possession, the ones he had called, the descendants of Abraham, they themselves had sinned against God. They'd given themselves to their lusts and to their wickedness, and God wants to cleanse them. And this is a people who actually a lot of the time look very respectable. Here in chapter 58, it talks about how they go through the rituals, they perform sacrifices, and they have days of fasting, and they seem to humble themselves, and they look like they're worshipping and following God, but actually inside, in their hearts, things are not good. Things have not changed. And God says they need to actually demonstrate what new life looks like. God is bringing a new day, and the people of God need to display that. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him? There can be, there's nothing actually, nothing really more hideous than religious hypocrisy. There's nothing more unpleasant than respectable Christianity, where everything looks clean and good and everybody turns up and does their thing in church and it all looks very respectable, but then you lift off the lid and underneath it's just seething with maggots. There's a rottenness there and God hates it. He hates it. A new day has to come with cleansing and rid all that from God's people. God's people need to demonstrate in reality the transformation that God brings to us. Words are not enough, and actions in terms of a pretense are not enough. There needs to be an attitude of the heart which, actually, which reflects how things look when God makes things new. Because when God makes things new, uh, bonds are broken, and the oppressed are set free, and the hungry are fed. And the people of God, renewed by God, need to demonstrate and live out those things. And we need to do that in the context of a world which is, on the surface, often very well ordered in our Western society, but again, underneath, can be kind of hollowed out and t- turbulent like the sea. Chapter 59, verse 14, the prophet says, Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. You know, the, the, um, the greatest lie we can tell ourselves is that we can, that we can save ourselves. That's the greatest lie humans tell themselves. My actions, my deeds can rescue myself. I can... <coughs> sort this thing out myself. There's a stumbling of truth in the public square. A new phrase which has entered the dictionary this past year is post-truth. We live in a post-truth society. Well, Isaiah was prophesying into a post-truth society. There's nothing new about a post-truth society. Post-truth society is a society where people think they can rescue themselves, where they can save themselves, where they we construct things to make life better. It's the ancient heresy where we think if we just make things better, if we keep improving the schools and keep improving the hospitals, then we'll save ourselves. That's what it takes. That's what it needs. And it can't save us. It's hollow. Truth has stumbled in the public square. Uprightness cannot enter. 
I think, uh, for me, perhaps the, 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 the best kind of physical example I can think of, the way that our world operates, the way that we try and build a beautiful world, and actually our world now is so much more beautiful than it often has been in the past because of our material prosperity. We live in a world of, we live in an Apple Mac world, and we live in a funky coffee shop world. We live in a world where we make things look beautiful and where things work, but underneath it can be hollow. And, uh, I think perhaps Terminal 5 of Heathrow is the ultimate demonstration of that. You go to Terminal 5 at Heathrow and it looks beautiful. It's an amazing structure and it's full of the most upmarket designer shops and it's designed to make you part of your money. It's designed to make you feel good. It's designed that even if you are in cattle class and you've got no money to spend in those shops, you're meant to feel good about being there. You're meant to feel that you're part of the jet set by being in Heathrow Terminal 5. But actually... Dig under the surface and it's hollow. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. The shop fronts are just plywood and MDF facades. And the stuff they're selling are trinkets which will fade and disappear in a few years anyway. And the whole system is actually designed just to get you in the place where they want you, when they want you there. There's no freedom of movement. There's no liberty there. It's all constructed and constrained and compressed and false and fake. And I sit there and... Terminal 5 at Heathrow, and I'm flying to other nations, and I think, ah, this is a weird place. It looks very good. It looks like the beautiful world, but dig under the surface. It's hollow. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. And we try and construct that kind of world. We try and construct our beautiful worlds, but underneath it's hollow. Truth has stumbled in the public square. What does God say about this? The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. If you want to know what the new day is like, if you want to know what God is like, God is a God of justice. God is a God who cares about justice, real justice, real truth. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. And his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. So our world, with all its evil and its corruption and its falsehood and its hollowness and its wicked turbulence, God has stepped in. This is the new day. This is Christmas. Jesus has come. The conqueror has come. He's looked at us and seen, he knows we can't save ourselves. He's seen it. He's seen our inability, our wretched inability to save ourselves. And he has intervened. God has come. God is coming for his people. God is coming to make all things new. The new day is coming. Chapter 60 of Isaiah. So beautiful. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. What is this new thing that God is doing? God is gathering his people together to be a light to the nations. Darkness shall cover the earth. Darkness does cover the earth. We're so physically aware of that this time of year with the short days where at seven in the morning it's still dark and by four in the afternoon it's still dark and 
Part of the point, of course, is Christmas as it marks the turning of the year. A couple of weeks' time and the days will start to get longer again. Darkness covers the earth literally and spiritually, but a light is coming. God comes to his people. His glory is seen upon us and nations come to his light. Light is beautiful. Light is attractive. That's why we put lights on the walls, put lights on our trees. That's why we decorate our houses at this time of year. Light candles. We want to come to the light. And the light of God, this new day, is coming on the earth. Hallelujah. It's coming to the people of God. The people of God themselves are going to shine with the glory of God. Someone just asked me before we started this morning about halos. I don't think I've ever been asked that before. Are halos in the Bible? No, they're not. It's a... a uh, artistic representation. It's kind of, very often it's kind of a bit of religious nonsense, a halo. But actually, what it represents, or what it should represent, is this light, this glory, the glory of God upon the people of God. There's a light that has come to God's people so that we shine with the glory of God. And that draws people to God. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Wow, that's what the new day brings. We won't even need the sun and the moon. That's what it says in Revelation 21. It kind of quotes these verses from Isaiah 60 and says, In the new Jerusalem, when the new day comes in all its fullness, there won't be any need for sun or moon because the light of God will shine. God's light will shine. He's our everlasting light. Your days of mourning shall be ended. That's good news. All of us go through times of mourning in our lives. I know some of you here at the moment have got things you're mourning in your lives. Difficult circumstances. I know this time of year, that can stir up some mourning. Some of, some of you in difficult circumstances, maybe on your own, you've lost loved ones. Times of mourning. My uh, one and only aunt died last night. Uh, my dad, I guess, his younger sister, will be mourning today. I'm going to have lunch with him after, after the service. Our days of mourning will be ended. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, that in Christ we see the light of the glory of the knowledge of God. If you come to Jesus, what you see is light, and you see glory, and you find truth, you find knowledge this isn't just some artistic, this isn't some childish halo drawn on a supposed angel. This is the light that we encounter. This is real. This is glorious. The light of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then we get to the amazing, amazing scripture by Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. In Luke 4, we read about how when Jesus began his ministry on earth, this is how he began it. He went to the synagogue, he was handed the scroll, he opened it and he read these verses from Isaiah. And it says he handed back the scroll and went and sat down and he said to the congregation there, today this scripture is fulfilled. It was an outrageous claim to make because actually nothing seemed to have happened. 
There weren't suddenly released prisoners running in the streets, and there weren't people who'd been blind suddenly running around seeing, and there weren't the lame suddenly skipping. That hadn't yet happened, but he could say it was fulfilled because it was so definite, it was so certain it it would happen in its full completeness. The promise of God was being worked out through Jesus. And so even at the beginning of his ministry, before he'd done any miracles, before he'd prayed for anybody who was sick, before he'd released anybody who was oppressed, he could say, it's done, it's fulfilled. On the cross, Jesus hung there and said, it's finished, it's done. He could say that at the beginning of his ministry as well, because it was so certain it would be. And when we come to Jesus, when we trust him for this new day, we step into this promise, into this year of the Lord's favor, into this year of jubilee into this place of comfort for all who mourn. Those of you who today are struggling with things in your lives need to step again into the light of Christ to believe that actually it's fulfilled. Even if it doesn't feel like it right now, it's fulfilled, it's certain, it's sure. He will set you free. He will deliver you. He will comfort all who mourn. The Ethiopian eunuch isn't any more defined by his nationality and his sexuality and by his job. He's defined by someone who belongs to the household of God, and that's true for you as well if you come to Christ. It's not your circumstances in life. It's not your place in the world. It's not the thing that you do. It's who you are as a member of God's household, someone who's come into the new day and stepped into the light and shares in the glory of God. What is this new day like? Verse 11, chapter 61, For as the earth brings forth its sprouts... That's a good verse at Christmas. (laughs) I love sprouts. I know not everybody shares that, but I love them. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up... See, it's there twice. You've got to eat your sprouts. So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. What is this new day going to be like? It's going to be a place of righteousness. What is, what is the world like now? Well, he's told us in chapter 59, the world now is a place where truth has been banished from the public square. It's a post-truth society. What is the new day of God's coming going to be like? It's going to be righteousness. It's going to be praise for all peoples of the earth. And so God says, For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You know, God loves his people. God loves his people. His plan for his people is to crown us with glory, to give us this new name. That's why we, who are part of his people, we need to share something of that passion for his church. That God is passionate about his people. He's passionate about his church. He's not going to keep quiet about it. He wants us to know his passion for us and what he's doing in us. And we need to share something of that passion as well. We need to share something of the passion of God for his people and what he is building for this new day when his people inherit all things. The things are still not too good. For Isaiah and for Israel, 
Isaiah sees what God is going to do. He sees the new day that's coming. He sees God's passion for his people. He knows God's promises. But then there's this moment at the end of this prophecy where kind of the realities of the current experience break in. And Isaiah pours out his heart again to God again. Chapter 63, verse 15. Isaiah says, Look down from heaven and see, from your holy and beautiful habitation, where are your zeal and your might? The stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. For you are our father, though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer from of old is your name. O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways? We harden our hearts so that we fear you not. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. Isaiah sees the promise of what God is doing. He knows the new day is coming. He knows the new name is being given to God's people. He knows that God is not going to keep quiet about his people. God knows passionate about his people. But then the reality of Isaiah and Israel's situation breaks in. And Isaiah says to God, well, where are you? Where is your zeal? Let me see it. And God responds and says to Isaiah, chapter 65, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually. God's answer to Isaiah is, I've always been here. I've always been reaching out to you, and yet your people, they keep pushing me away. And that's true today as well. God is here. And God's heart is for those he has made. God is saying, here I am. Here I am. God said that through Jesus Christ. Jesus came and walked the earth and said, here I am. Here I am. God is here. He's reaching out to you, men and women. He's reaching out. But again and again, the people say, we don't want to know. We don't want to know. But the no of men and women is not the last word because God is bringing a new day. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Whoa. It's happening. God is going to make all things new. He's going to restore all things. He's going to complete all things. He's going to fulfill all things He's going to wipe away all the sin and the corruption and the pain and we'll know his glory and his light. I mean to finish. Let's finish at the end of 66. God says this. The time is coming to gather all nations and tongues and they shall come and see my glory and I will set a sign among them and from them I will send survivors to all the nations, to those that have not heard my fame or seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. And they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and dromedaries. 
to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the Israelites bring their grain offering and a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. And some of them also I'll take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. God is going to bring his people from every corner of the globe. He's taking people who did not know him from parts of the world where he's never been heard of and he's gathering them to know him and to worship him and enjoy him in this new world, in this new day forever. And our mission, our mission as the Church of Jesus Christ is those who were on the distant coastlands who knew nothing about this God but have been found by him. Our mission is to go to the ends of the earth. Whether the ends of the earth is your next door neighbor or literally the other end of the earth, our job is to take the good news of this new day of the coming Savior of Jesus to all people, that God may gather all those he calls into his house, into his family, with a new name and the glory of God shining upon them. It'd be great to finish there. The disturbing sting in the tail with Isaiah is the last verse. And because it's the last verse, I can't really skip it out. That would be cheating. It says this, And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Why does Isaiah finish there, on that note, after so much glory and so much promise and so much hope? I'm not sure, but I think... I think Isaiah wants us to see, he doesn't want us to get bogged down in the detail of who these people are and what the worms are and all that stuff. I think what he wants us to see is to look with wonder upon what we are saved from. That human sin and rebellion against God is a serious matter. It's not only serious because it causes restlessness and upset and despair and pain to us and to our world, but it's a serious matter because of the offense is to a holy God. And when God in his mercy comes to us and opens our eyes so that we can see him and brings us into his light, we're meant to think about what we've been rescued from. And what we've been rescued from is the place of endless worms and unquenchable fire. And we're meant to look at that as what was actually our destiny and our desert and our birthright, we're meant to look at that and we're meant to tremble with fear at the prospects and not wander that way again. And we're meant to look to Jesus and his salvation and it's meant to cause us to burst out with praise. That Jesus, you have come to me, you've rescued me, you've saved me, you've redeemed me, you've delivered me from that and you've brought me into a new day and into a new life and the hope of a new world. And I know it's going to be fulfilled because Jesus, you have done it because you did hang on that cross and you did defeat sin and death and you are bringing your people into their inheritance to fill the whole earth with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And so we're brought to this place of amazed worship again at who God is and this great servant and king and conqueror, our Jesus, our redeemer, our rescuer, the one who has brought us light in which you will stand and glory forevermore. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. And uh, let's stand together and pray. And I'll head off down the road and leave you with Vicky and Dan to worship Jesus.
King says, thank you for this amazing prophecy of Isaiah, which reveals so much to us of what you are like and what your plans are. And I pray that even as we've raced through these last 11 chapters this morning, I pray there'll be things working in our hearts in response to you as we see your greatness and your mercy, your compassion to us, your kindness, and the urgency of the mission that the ends of the earth and our next door neighbors need to know this good news. It is good news that you've given us, Jesus. Christmas is good news. The Savior has come and is making all things new. And thank you that when we respond to you, we step into this newness of life, a newness which, is, which never gets old, but is new every morning. And Lord, we want to celebrate that today. We want to make the light of Christ known in our town and to the ends of the earth. We want to proclaim all that you've done for us and the gratitude we have in our hearts that you've rescued us from corruption and wickedness and death. We love you, Jesus, and give praise to your name. Amen.